Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So there is a prolific poet, essayist, novelist, farmer, activist, and theologian in Henry County, Kentucky named Wendell Berry. Though his brilliance took him off to the University of Kentucky, then to Stanford University as a writing fellow, then Italy, France, and New York for a time, he always knew that he was meant to return to his home in Kentucky, to the place that formed him, where seven generations of his family had lived before him. And he still lives there, writing and farming and writing some more, And he often writes on what it is to resist this ever-present influence of technology, capitalism, and the destruction of nature and how all of that really controls us. In so much of his work, he calls us to reconsider that constant pressure to define ourselves only by how productive we are, to only see ourselves as a part of the machine of productivity. So rather than seeing people and all other creatures purely as economic units, he says, let us suppose that a remedy is possible. Hear now these words from Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, a good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the gold a bag, the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Now, if you're in the same space as me right now, maybe this passage today feels a little bit abrupt, and that last verse is even a little triggering. We are going through the parables together. That's our series that we're working through right now. But for me, I much prefer Jesus to never mention weeping and gnashing of teeth. Like, I'm good on that, Jesus. Thanks. (laughs) But the more I dug into these scriptures for today, the more I saw the heart of Jesus in this parable. And the more that I also try to take the brilliant New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine at her word when she says this. Religion has been defined as designed to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. We do well to think of the parables of Jesus as doing the afflicting. Therefore, if we hear a parable and we say, I really like that, or worse, fail to take any challenge at all, we are not listening well enough. Such listening is not only a challenge, it is also an art. And this art has become lost. When we seek universal morals from a genre that is designed to surprise, challenge, shake up, or indict, and look for a single meeting in a form that opens to multiple interpretations, we are necessarily limiting the parables and so limiting ourselves. For many of us, hearing the word talents might automatically make us think of our own gifts and talents that we have as we read the parable of the talents today. Um, Maybe your mind goes to the many reality shows like America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, or so on and so forth. Maybe you think of the many weird and wonderful talent shows that you've been to or been in. Has anyone... Anyone have a talent show that really sticks out to them? Yeah, I think about like elementary school talent shows and kind of cringe at myself a little bit. I was convinced I was going to be a pop star one day at that point, so. But what's quite fascinating is that the way we use that word, talents, as we know it, is actually inspired by this parable that we just read. Many scholars think that because this parable was so widespread, talent became a word for using what you have been given for the kingdom of God. So when we look at the gospel of Matthew as a whole, a little bit of Bible background for you here, the author of Matthew maps out the book over five models of discourse. And in our passage today, we are in the fifth of those five discourses. So it helps to look at these verses in the context of the chapter and a half or so before it. They follow an A-B-A-B form, with the A's addressing always being ready for Jesus to return, and the B's, like ours today, on using one's gifts and talents wholeheartedly while we wait for the return of Jesus. So while you may associate this that this parable with sermons on stewardship and giving and making sure you're wise with your money, there may be another good or even better interpretation in this. Another quote from Amy Jo Levine. Contrary to what might be modeled by some best-selling televangelists, this parable does not justify a gospel of economic prosperity. Instead, it challenges believers to emulate their master by using all that God has given them for the sake of the kingdom. 
So in the time that this gospel was written, the disciples of Jesus and beyond really anticipated his return, with, even within their lifetime. They worked and they used their gifts and talents, but they also fully prepared for his return soon. So I believe this must be a priority for us as well. For me, growing up, it often felt like Christianity was just another form of escapism. Let's get our fire insurance and then just wait and twiddle our thumbs until we're finally united with Christ, right? Just check the box of salvation. So while I do hold on to that hope, I also believe that the time that we have been given is right here and right now. That our lives are not meant to be wasted and waiting for heaven, but that we are called to seek out what makes us come alive, to know ourselves fully, to enact justice, and to find rhythms of rest, grace, and passion throughout our lives here and now. An example of what this could look like might be taking seriously what it means to care for our earth. In the documentary on Wendell Berry, who I spoke on in the introduction, it's called Look and See, and he speaks on how technology in agriculture has resulted in us being separated from the earth, from the food we eat, even how we've really destroyed the ground. So along the lines of this escapism to heaven, there are many who plunder the earth and live as if all that we have is meant to be used, even abused. Many would say this dominion we've been given must mean that we can do whatever we want with the earth, right? Instead, it is of the utmost importance that we see how climate change impacts the poorest of the world most. Animals, nature, people in developing countries, they are the ones who do not have control over the way natural disasters, pollution, and many other things results in impacting them the most. They suffer the most. And as people who are followers of Christ, we cannot turn away from the suffering of our fellow image bearers. Instead, in all of this, we hold to the both and of hope for the future. Yes, we, yes, but we are also stay fully present here and now, serving and loving and remembering the least of these. So now let's get down into the really difficult stuff of this, this parable here. For me, when I was growing up, I was always taught to think that the master, father, whoever was in charge in the parable always represented Jesus. But I have found that instead, Jesus may be giving a more concrete example of what it looks like to live fruitfully in the waiting. Maybe even an in-context commentary of what life might be like while he is not with us in the flesh while he is not with his disciples in the flesh anymore. Especially because people who followed Jesus were often those in the lower classes, the oppressed people, the women, the poor. This parable was meant to be heard by them. This example of people who are servants of a master 
was not far off from the listener's context. And this, this parable was not to condone slavery in any way, but maybe it was a way to show how to emulate Jesus, whatever your status. And emulating Jesus can look like, for us, in our context, feeding the hungry, curing the sick, blessing the meek, and especially believing in abundance over scarcity. Something that I try to do in stories from scripture is deeply humanize whoever I'm reading about. So when it comes to this third servant, I wonder what made him so fearful, so stingy, so accustomed to a scarcity mindset. Maybe he himself had been hurt. Maybe he was so discouraged by his life in servanthood. But instead of believing the best about the people around him or living in and learning from community, the servant became bitter. He hoarded what he had and somehow still believed it was never enough. So he hid it away. He chose to stop believing the best about the people around him or even the best about himself. And I think maybe that's actually what what hell is like. Maybe that's what Jesus meant by weeping and gnashing of teeth. When we open ourselves up to the possibility of abundance in our relationships, in the risks we take in our everyday choices, and the way we think of others. That is true abundance. That is some of the greatest and most important resistance that we can really lean into in our lives. To resist the idea of scarcity in our relationships and to instead believe in the abundance of all we are called to be and all we are called to do. To resist the idea that we are just to sit by and wait and waste the earth's resources when we are meant to care for one another. To see the image of God in everyone and everything. So in the story, the master gives no instructions that we get as to what is to be done with the money. So faithfulness is not merely obedience to directions. Each servant's servant must decide how to use their time during the master's absence. The same can be said for us. There might not always be one specific path to take, not always specific directions on every decision that we need to make, although I desperately wish sometimes, like in unknown seasons of my life, what, that I would get that direct next step. But Jesus calls us to so much more than just that, though. We each live such a beautiful, complex, multi-layered life that is full of decisions and relationships and confusion and joy. So while we might not always have specific directions for everything, I do believe Jesus calls us to lean into self-awareness, to discover what and who we love, and to model ourselves after him. One place we can start is by listening to the words from Wendell Berry in his poem, Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. He says, when they want you to buy something, 
they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing, take all that you have and be poor, love someone who does not deserve it. Gather, this is my prayer for us today. That we would resist the pull, the pull to believe the worst about others or the worst about ourselves. That we would never fall into a scarcity mindset. That we would lean into abundance. That we would do something every day that does not compute. And let us always remember that we are loved and that we are love. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.